0: Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Boundary Rope podcast. So so today being 14 July 2020, we decided to discuss on the previous year, which was one of the greatest days in sporting history, as there were three uh, big sporting uh, occasions being held on the same day in uh, United Kingdom. And one of those was the Wimbledon final, which was between Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic which ended up being the longest Wimbledon final with the match heading into a tie-break with the score level at 12 all. And ultimately, Djokovic ended up being the winner. There was also the Formula 1 uh, Silverstone Grand Prix which was held on the outskirts of London. And the home boy uh, Lewis Hamilton won the Grand Prix. But our discussion being a cricket podcast, we will be discussing about the 2019 World Cup final which is considered to be one of the greatest ODI matches ever held. So, on today's show, I will be welcoming uh, our guests Ajay, Krishna and Avi Seth. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, happy to have you on the show here. Yeah,
1: it's great to be back.
2: Hi, Deeraj, Always a pleasure.
0: So, we'll begin with the discussion about the World Cup final with a small part regarding the World Cup semi-final which India lost. So, what were your thoughts heading into the World Cup final? Were you expecting an India-Australia clash?
1: Alright. So, um, I did really want an England-India final because um, even though India had been performing decently well in a lot of ODI tournaments, I just thought the whole thought process the team had, uh, you know, the, the way the selection committee was working, I had some sort of a, you know, a, a big level beating to bring them down to the ground. And although that did happen because we ended up crashing out in the semifinals, finals uh, because one of the reasons that I've been ranting about since a couple of years, where we I I've been saying that our batting team are at number three, and I think it was uh, pretty evident in both the 2015 World Cup semi-final and the 2019 World Cup semi-final, and that's something we didn't learn over the last four years, which is why I was following the England team because they've they've learned a lot of things in the last four years, so that that's where I thought. A team which doesn't learn over the course of four years, a team which does not, uh, you know, fix its flaws, doesn't probably deserve to win the World Cup, which is why I think at the end of the day, England, New Zealand, the most deserving teams to reach the final. So I, I can say I was satisfied seeing the two of them reach the finals.
2: So, yeah, just like when the World Cup started, uh, we all knew that England were one of the favourites going in. And uh, for the brand of cricket New Zealand had played over the last couple of years, even they were well deserving to be in the final. But India, so there's always the emotional element that says, yes, we want it, and all of that. And that has stayed with all of us on this podcast. Uh, but then, as Avi said, uh, rewarding bad management. Uh, would just set a bad precedent. So, if we went on, uh, despite making bad management choices, that would not set a very good precedent going forward.
0: So, now heading into the match, New Zealand won the toss and chose to bat. And probably it was the right decision because uh, in a final, you prefer putting the runs on the board. But New Zealand only put on 241 runs on the board, considering the batting lineup that England had and also the way they just uh, got past Australia, just uh, blitz them apart. So, do you think that 241 was enough? Though the pitch was a little tacky and difficult to face, but 241 was still a low score, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, being a World Cup final at home, the number one ODI team in the world, pressure was certainly on England. Um, they were playing in the first World Cup finals in 1992, I believe.
0: 92, yeah. So,
1: yeah. So, this this was... England's game to lose. We probably was 10-15 runs short as we ended up seeing, but uh, competitive nonetheless. It it wasn't an out and out. You know when when New Zealand was done with their innings, I didn't think that you know this this was a score which England will easily achieve. There was definitely competition up until the first half of the game. So I think the score was manageable. And uh, what I'd like to believe is that. Even in that situation, England, as a batting unit, did definitely underperform.
0: On the day, yes. No, I definitely yeah. felt uh, England would just run away with the game because we saw how Jason Roy and Bairstow took apart the Australian fast bowlers. So, I thought the game could be over in 35-40 overs if England just came on and did what they did to the Aussies. But New Zealand, being the fighters that they are, I think they put up a really good fight from the start. The fast bowlers did put up a big fight
2: conditions played a big role that day because if you think about it the australia game england bowled well to contain the aussies uh, but in this it was actually the conditions were more bowling friendly in this game so uh, when the new zealand pacers came on and then i, I don't know the colin de grand home spell has to be one of the most memorable world cup uh, spells because judge the fact that he gave so few uh, runs and along with that, he did wickets.
1: I, I think okay. the the one standout thing we can see in that England batting performance was the fact that, again, Joe Root, the one consistent player they had across the tournament, failed to perform. And uh, Morgan didn't do That basically set the tone for the entire innings. And then obviously... Uh, the last three batsmen, basically the tail enders got out without scoring a single run. Utler hit a uh, fighting 50. We had Stokes leading the innings again. And we had a few marginal performances from people like, uh, I think only or even Jason Roy had scored like 15 or 17 runs. Yeah. So just think that if, if ha happened to f- perform in the game, as as uh, they would have run away with it within 45 hours.
2: And even the best winnings was uh, uncharacteristic because if you think about best winnings in ODIs, he generally keeps a strike rate above 100. But in this game, you know, he scored 36 of 55. Right.
0: right. All,
2: so yeah, it is against the pattern he plays with, against what England stand for in a way. And
0: I don't think, I think he uh, was in control either during those 36 exactly. runs. I think a lot of runs came through edges as well. So. He really was struggling against the quality New Zealand
1: attack. Yeah, but as, as I remember, uh, Besto had two in uh, running away to the to the uh, leg side boundary, and uh, the third one he got bowled. Oh. So that definitely happened. And even even when it comes to, I think conditions did did matter a lot because uh, Joe Root played a horrific thirty-ball seven innings, and even Morgan, very uncharacteristic of him. 22 ball 9 so even even these two players uh, who who generally have a higher paced odi innings it they, they didn't really perform so i think uh, pressure did run up to them because it was the first time as a unit they were playing a game of this high regard the
0: time they did play they didn't really do well either the world cup uh, final t20 world cup final
1: exactly and i think this is why i regard ben stokes as last year's greatest cricketer he he managed to scrape england through at least through in the in the uh, league stage he managed to get them through through his bowling as well at times and he's managed to win them the final he's managed to uh, win them the headingley test and the fact that improvement he's shown in the last four years he he, he is one of the greatest uh, Champions of the game right now,
0: I think. Aptly summed up. So uh, we discussed about the innings by uh, Joe Root and Morgan. So it was 86 for four after 23 odd overs. So who do you think wa- was the favourites at uh, that point of time? I think New Zealand was definitely edging it with the wickets.
1: So at that point of time, um, I think I did uh, feel a little bit. Uh, the game was edging towards New Zealand when uh, when Morgan got out because uh, I knew there was, there was Butler coming in and after that, everyone practically was a bowling all-rounder. And uh, my only hopes were from Butler and uh, Vokes certainly underperformed with the bats in the entire tournament. Like, uh, he's done a great job with the ball but uh, uh, he again failed with the bat in a lot of innings. But uh, I didn't quite expect to perform as well because he'd been failing in the last few innings. So, I think at 86 for 4 I had kind of sort of given up.
2: I mean, as he rightly pointed out, uh, we generally don't run off until you have good players at the crease. So, you had uh, Stokes and Butler there and then you had Wokes to come. Uh, There was, like, it was in favour. It was like a 60-40 game where you thought New Zealand were ahead but uh, England could uh, easily make up I don't think Jaws Butler's
0: innings is given as much uh, credit as it is supposed to be given because we all talk about Ben Stokes as the man who won that final. But he was initially struggling to get the runs on the board. And it was Butler who came in and scored that runner ball 59. And it was very precious runs at that time because uh, the run rate also was slow. He got the team up to the required run rate. And he helped Stokes also pace his innings better. So I think Butler played as important an in innings as Ben Stokes probably did.
1: I I'll agree like, with you for the fact that uh, Stokes saw through till the end and th- that's something we've kind of seen Butler does not. He, he starts pacing his innings and while chasing, he always gives his wicket away. And even when he gave his wicket away in the final itself, that wasn't a shot he should have played. He had a very important role to play but I'd still rate Ben Stokes innings much higher because he stood through it. He, he let the bad balls go. He let the strike rate uh, go below 90. He ensured that he was there till the final ball.
0: So now heading into the final two overs with a stiff target still to chase. Uh, and with Trent bowl to bowl. Uh, do you still think that England had a good enough chance?
1: That confidence which Stokes got with that six... Uh, which we stepped the boundary line is what changed the tone of the match.
0: So the final over, the first one which uh, landed in the stands, the sixth uh, uh, from Stokes of bold, and then which was followed by the controversial overthrow four. So mm-hmm. what were your feelings at that time?
1: I I don't know. I just I just thought uh, Stokes from. Winning this World Cup for England, but uh, I think, yeah.
2: I mean, more on the controversial four, uh, at, at least I hadn't seen anything like that in my life before. I hadn't seen an overthrow going off. And then as it wasn't five runs and all of that, it wasn't six runs, it was supposed to be five and all of that. Yeah. So, there was, yeah, someone, we all very highly Simon Toffel. As it turns out, uh, as it turned, he explained, five, not six. That, that, that was my point. So because, because of that overthrow, it changed. It changed things a long way. Because, like even Bolt, he been defending seven of three, than defending three of two.
0: Yeah, most certainly. I think
2: <clears throat> that made a big difference because seven of two would
0: have put a lot of pressure on Stokes for sure. And there would have been a lot of permutation combination as well. If he went for a shot and he wasn't able to come back for a two, it would have been uh, Rashid on strike and a lot of pressure on Rashid then. So definitely that four helped a lot. And ultimately, we saw the match ending in a thrilling tie,
2: which took us to the super over. So this run us through the super over drama. Screens on. I had uh, tennis on my... And cricket on TV, and uh, two minutes before the uh, match and tiebreaker had started at the, at the in the Wimbledon final, so it 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 was too exciting. The adrenaline was pumping and all of that. But uh, yeah, so when it was the super over, I just couldn't believe like match of the highest magnitude has gone into a super over after six weeks of drama, as Ian Smith said after six weeks of drama, it didn't end there. You needed a super over. And, and I think it was a fitting tribute to an exciting World Cup. Like, just that super over.
1: No, not but, just again, the World Cup, but the, these two teams were so neck-to-neck there. It needed a super over and more to decide uh, one of them between them. And I think that's uh, that's really important to see. And I, I again, don't like this whole You know, cricket really has gone away from being a gentleman's game, like how how people perceive it now. Unnecessary commentary about England not deserving the World Cup. And I think that's, again, a very wrong perspective to look at things from because I've always stood by this belief that uh, New Zealand deserved it no less than England. But to say that a team which came till the 52nd over of the game and was neck-to-neck with New Zealand, it's a shame to call yourself a cricket fan if you're going to make commentary, which which is of the along the lines of England not deserving the World Cup. I think both of them deserved it. in In any World Cup final, the the two teams which have reached that stage definitely deserve uh, the World Cup as much as any other team which could have. But I do this World Cup uh, after two thousand three. I think this was one World Cup where the finalists were as close as they could have been and uh, I'm glad the laws changed now we require another super over to decide the victor but as it was I think that England showed over last four years they certainly deserve the title it's it's a great disappointment for New Zealand losing two back-to-back finals but then it's also a testament that they've lost it to two amazing campaigns and not just, uh, I mean, 2015 was a disappointing loss, 2019 performance by them, but they've lost it to two teams who've done a great job in ensuring uh, limited overs dominance.
2: Certainly, hard luck on New Zealand's part, no. they've lost two very good finals, and uh, I, I don't think it's right to say that uh, England didn't win the world cup fair and square because they did, they won by law, so uh. Right. The f- you can't just disregard their victory.
1: And I think one most underrated part about England's campaign in 2019, after Joe Root's performance, is Chris Woakes. He wasn't in most people's starting eleven like a couple of months before the World Cup. Um, he isn't seen as a genuine all-rounder. Uh, he isn't a genuine all-rounder, but he any sort of an all-rounder, and uh, he a lot of pundits like disregarded his existence in uh, in England ODI team or even I I choose to keep him in my uh, World Cup 11 of 2019 and if you see his performances he he doesn't have a lot but I think it's really important to see that every time he's taken a wicket it's been an important one Uh, in the final match itself he took three, three wickets including Martin Guptill and Tom Latham who was going dangerous at 47 he uh, he was the person who took uh, uh, three wickets again in the semi-final against Australia. And I think those were important w- about uh, David Warner. And he then took out Mitchell Stark, although not a very important person, but Stark was going at 29 out of 36 balls. So he was looking dangerous as well. And then if we remember the match against India, he that that was a must-win situation for England. And he managed to take out uh, KL Rahul after bowling three consecutive maiden BI match. That was probably my favourite spell in the entire World Cup. When when he bowled uh, 18 dot balls on a trot against India, he took out KL Rahul uh, Rovich Sharma. So, two wickets, three wickets in every match, but he's made that significant.
2: The larger narrative, if you think about it, this World Cup was supposed to be a 300 plus uh, uh, game every time and all of that. But then our most interesting games came down to good bowling with movement and, the, and then these 240 kind of games.
0: So, the World Cup final and the end of it was actually a culmination of a lot of things. So, the final mm-hmm. ball was bowled by Jofra Archer, who uh, was not in the England side because of his uh, nationality. He was not in the England setup initially and he had to come in towards the end, just close to the tournament. The man batting was Martin Guptil who... Uh, affected that famous run-out of M.S. Dhoni in the semi-final. The man who made that run-out possible was Jason Roy, who was really missed when England were struggling, and he was one of the uh, vital cogs when he got back from his injury. And, of course, the man who affected the run-out in the end was uh, Josh Butler, who got Steve Smith out. So, it was a culmination of a lot of things, and ultimately the run-out was affected, and the work to
1: Not to forget the fact that not to forget the fact that it was a Kiwi who led them through the final, and it was, ah, a, yes. it was an Irish who captained England. I think at this point of time, this shows more than anything how much inclusivity and diversity is important. Captain was an Irish, and I think uh, as much talk we are doing about inclusivity, England has shown that they've actually managed to make it through, and uh, moment to appreciate how much work they've been doing. Uh, Even during the current series, both England and West Indies, you know, taking the knee and uh, showing support for the Black Lives Matter movement. I think that there was a great testament coming in from uh, a country which is responsible for a lot of these society today. They've done a lot to show that now they, as a nation, stand against it. I think that was a great testament as well.
0: And very apt that it was uh, West Indies and England who were facing up against each other, two teams who have shown a lot of solidarity for the movement Black Lives Matter. So, it's uh, a great thing that those two sides were involved in this match and at such a situation. So, yes, that was our World Cup discussion, World Cup final discussion. And... It was a great final. I think one of the greatest finals uh, in sporting history. One of the greatest ODI matches. So, would you have this as your number one ODI match of all time or is there something else that stands out?
1: I I would say that this was definitely the best one-day match I've ever watched. But, yeah. wasn't since 2003, there hasn't been an exciting final. 2015 was a dull final. 2011, it was great because we won but it wasn't really uh, that interesting of a match, 2007 oh. was the dumpster fire final anyway. England, Australia happened to celebrate twice because of the rain and all of that. Bad 2003 was, 2003 was anywhere. Ricky Ponting smashing this everywhere. So uh, I do hold World Cup matches a lot more important than other One Day matches. So this easily comes into my uh, my top three. But I think it would easily take the cake as the best ODI match I've ever watched. I think uh, the 400 plus cheers, which, I don't know, happened in
0: 2006.
1: 434-438. Yeah, that match. Probably would be a toss-up between that and this. But because it's a World Cup match, this takes the cake for me.
2: Exactly. So, uh, for the best World Cup match I've seen uh, or even heard of because… I think the other World Cup match that comes close should be Kapil Dev's 175 against Zimbabwe back in the day oh. and all that. And then, uh, yeah, so this is probably my favorite uh, World Cup game of all time. But then if I think about it, uh, my favorite ODI of all time, 434-438 game. I think that also stays with us until today because of how new it was. the obvious ones would be 434-438. As a
0: non-World Cup match, that would be one of my favorites. And if you consider the World Cup match, this would be the top for me amongst the ones I've seen. I really have the World Cup semi-final between New Zealand and South Africa as one of my personal favorites. And amongst the ones that I've not watched, but I've watched a lot uh, as highlights, uh, I was a little surprised that you guys didn't mention it, the Lance Klusner semi-final of ninety nine. So, that is also another historic final, uh, which included the build-up to that game due to uh, Herschel Gibbs dropping Steve Waugh's catch in the previous round, which led to this match. So, those were my best matches of all time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I assume we were talking about matches which we won, but yeah, and then another fun fact, you know, based on an Instagram conversation I've had with Herschel Gibbs, he claims that Steve actually never said that. And, uh, <laughs>
2: nice
1: i don't know how how true that is but uh, i think he definitely did i i think that's what i said when uh, morgan uh final you know he he probably just threw away the world cup with this loose shot
2: shot by the way special mention to ian smith for uh, presenting one of the best commentaries for a world cup final
0: Yes, World Cup final, the whole part of the commentary that he gave and even the match I was referring to the World Cup semi-final, the Grant Elliott shot. Again, Ian Smith was the one who was there in that uh, occasion as well. Yes. Yes, so with that we come to the end of the episode. It was wonderful discussing the final with you guys and surely stays long in our memory as one of the greatest ODI matches of all time and also as one of the greatest sporting days of all time with the tennis being viewed simultaneously with people switching channels or some people lucky ones having it on different uh, devices so that was our discussion and thanks for having you guys today
1: it's uh, for having us
2: uh, thank you Neera.